topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Hey, everyone. If you are a small business owner, a recruiter, an HR professional, or a hiring manager struggling to fill open positions with qualified workers, then you're in the right place. Today on Geek Skeezers and Googleization, we have one of the business, uh, one of HR's most popular and most professional uh, people around that I know, Chris Dunn. Uh, He's CHRO at a company called Kinetics, an RPO company. And if you're not sure what an RPO is, stay tuned. Uh, he's also the author of a new book, uh, came out, I believe, this summer, um, right around the SHRM meeting, uh, SHRM annual meeting. I think that's, uh, that was kind of the launch. Uh, it's called Nine Faces of HR, A Disruptor's Guide to Mastering Innovation and Driving Real Change. And if anybody knows me, that's my talk. That's my language. So we're going to be talking with Chris about what's ahead for recruitment in 2020 and beyond. Uh, we do want to thank Zor AI and Success Performance Solutions for being our sponsors. You'll hear, hear more about them in just a few minutes. And speaking of innovation and change, um, on the way to this week's episode, I had another one of those um, kind of HR experiences that screams status quo. Um, can't wait to talk to uh, Chris about this one. He probably saw some of the, the talk on uh, my LinkedIn feed about it. Um, I'll give you the short version, and then uh, we'll go into it a little bit more during our uh, conversation with Chris. But at the end of last week, I discovered um, an adjunct professor uh, professor role um, at a local college. Uh, seemed right up my alley. Wanted to try to get back into some of the, the schools. I, I've done that before. I taught at community college and university and, and decided it was time to get back into it. So I applied, and I'd like to say it was uneventful. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, so walking in the shoes of a candidate for the first time in quite a few years, I uploaded my resume, which was easy enough. And up to that point, I'd say I would have given the candidate experience about an A minus. Uh, wasn't perfect, but it was really, really pretty good. Um, and then I, uh, after uploading it, uh, it gave me the opportunity to review everything I uploaded. And then everything crashed. Um, it failed miserably. I realized that most of the information I entered uh, – in the resume or that was uploaded from the resume imported into the ATS uh, was really terribly wrong. I have no idea how it even um, populated some of the fields um, in the way. I won't get into all the details, but let's just say it was pretty ugly. And But more important than that, I wasn't worried about me uh, because that was an easy fix. I was able to easily go and correct it. Um, but if my experience was that bad, what's it like for all the other candidates out there? And what was really troubling was that the platform that uh, this uh, university was using was one of the more popular and highly touted ATS in the market. So if their parsing is that bad and the experience is that bad, uh, what's it like for everybody else? And you've heard me and Keith and, you know, dozens of guests talk about, hey, how HR tech has sort of got to move into the 
you know, we're almost in the third decade of the 21st century, and, and it's really lagging behind. So we'll have a lot to talk about uh, on, on the show today about that, because Chris is certainly in tune with uh, much of that. Uh, beyond that, um, Keith, what's going on? Well, th- first and foremost, I was wondering where your LinkedIn question came out and t- was coming from in terms of, you know, asking about parsing information. Uh, but it does really, Ira, it exposes the truth of the matter. And the truth of the matter is that for the better part of, let's call it seven decades, HR has been viewed <laughs> as a cost center. And while nobody was giving any training, any technology or any investment into HR, for the most part, Everyone else was getting very well acclimated to having technology and training and the scope of being able to do things simply separated from reality with HR. And it makes it's I mean, we had Charney, Matt Charney on a couple of weeks ago. Right. I love his answer to the question we're probably going to ask Chris later at the end of the show. Right. The truth of the matter is that it takes so much to make change happen inside of HR anymore. And that is a very, very unfortunate thing. I'm super pumped to have Chris Dunn on the show. Chris and I have met in the past. Chris is truly an A-gamer in the HR world. He brings, and I think the audience is going to appreciate his combination of HR tech, HR tactic, and HR strategy. Um, I haven't had a chance to read his book. You know, you and I have talked about my curse of reading books I get one, I find myself committed to reading it from cover to cover, and before I could before I could even think fast, I've got six other people sending me copies of books, and now I've got five books that I'm trying to read all at one time. Well, well I'm <laughs> glad you got mine first, because at least you got through it. Other, yeah, otherwise, yeah. mine would be buried down on that list. <laughs> well, I know how I got onto this podcast, Ira, because I read your book and started telling you how great it was. I remember those days. Yeah, and, and still do, and, and appreciate that very much. So one of the other things that I guess is concerning is, is not that it's just a bad candidate experience, but for, for good or bad, we know that a lot of the, the, the technology now you know, is being automated, um, and, and for good reasons. I'm, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be these this automation and the ability to upload a resume, but um, if that's the case, and, and a lot of the screening, a lot of the... Um, uh, you know the the what the the, the ATS or the or the uh, recruiters are doing is is looking for keywords and uh, but if the information is imported incorrectly, even though it could be a great resume, is how many people are being excluded because the resume doesn't necessarily match what the technology is looking for, and there is no standardization in the industry. And yesterday on on LinkedIn Live, I talked to a career you know kind of executive career coach. And, you know, and I, and I asked him point blank. I mean, it, it was really funny how all this came up because he was scheduled weeks before that. And I, and I asked him, does he prepare, res- you know, how does he prepare resumes to make sure that his clients, um, you know, can get through some of the technology? And, you know, frankly, it, it, you know, he said it's pretty it's pretty tough. I mean, he gave some great tips and I suggest people going up to my feed and and looking and, and listening to that. It was from uh, his name's Ed Samuel, and he just published a new book called Optimize Your Resume. Um, and, and honestly, there, there's nothing any, you know, nothing earth, earth shattering in the book, but he, he's taken all the history and the do's and don'ts. But it doesn't really matter, because even though if you have a great looking, a great resume, um, you know, if that particular technology 
is set up to parse or the parameters are a little different from one to another, um, you know, the candidates sort of get screwed. Well, and, and it really speaks to... And the company to, gets screwed because they're not getting the talent that they need. Well, they're missing right. out on good people because the technology isn't up to par. You know, it's it's fascinating to me, and and you know, I'm putting I'm doing a lot of work right now with uh more. Let's call it the human capital movement that's taking place not only inside of the HR in businesses, but mm-hmm. in, in in private equity groups. In uh, the SEC is going to mm-hmm. be changing their financial regulations regarding reporting on human capital, and I'm sitting right in the middle of that storm, putting pieces of the puzzle together here. And what I could say with absolute certainty is that. There is a massive, massive short, uh, shortcoming when you look at the, the understanding that senior level executives have as it relates to executing human resources mm-hmm. in, in, in going forward. Because I don't, I don't know, and, and yet another question I wanna, I'm going to want to put in front of Chris here, but do executives, or I guess the right thing for me, way to say it is, I get the impression that executives have very little understanding as to the value of human capital in the next few years and how little prepared their organizations are to actually do something about it. And yeah. it, it, it's it's really interesting. And, and we've talked about how, you know, my curiosity is more along the lines of will H how much will HR different be different in mm-hmm. the next three to five years? Who's yeah. going to be running HR? I yeah. don't see it being an HR thing anymore. Yeah, I gave a presentation the other night to uh, to a, a college, local college, uh, to their HR prof- uh, professors, and that was that was my final question: Is you have a curriculum that's defining what what HR is now, but is it a curriculum uh, structured for what HR will be in five years? And and frankly, they didn't, th- you know, they admitted they didn't think it was, and and so it was, a, you know, a good opening there. But I, I think we're. We're, we're, we kind of teed up a whole lot of things for Chris. Uh, I don't know how we're going to get through all this in, in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, but uh, just a, a brief introduction for Chris Dunn. Uh, he's currently the CHRO, as I said, a, a, and a partner at Kinetics. Uh, he describes it as the best RPO company in the world. Um, he actually has on the website, it could be the Galaxy, but he doesn't know if there are RPOs outside the world, uh, outside the Earth. Uh, he's is pretty impressive. He's, he's filled 4,500 professional-grade positions a year for his clients. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's a pretty impressive track record. So definitely he's got a lot of experience behind under his belt. And he's got two great blogs. I highly recommend people um, – reading these, uh, subscribing to them, however you can get them. Uh, one's hrcapitalist.com and the other's fistfuloftalent.com. Um, we'll have that posted on the website and you'll be able to link over to those. And as I mentioned, uh, he's got a brand new book, the, the Nine Faces of HR. So Chris, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you, gentlemen. I uh, appreciate you having me. What's going on today? Well, you can like through like five or six questions you're going to ask me, like my head spinning. I can't keep I can't keep track of all the issues you want. Yeah, to and, talk about. and it's basketball <laughs> season again, right? Your head's not even in the game, right? <laughs> We're just going to be quiet yeah, for the rest of the, the game, hour, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I know, I know, I know. No, it's hey. great. To, it's great to be with you. And I mean, there's a lot going on in the world. Yeah. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk? About your resume parsing. Yeah, let's um, let's start there because, because that was hot. And 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 again, I it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of people talking about it. And then then I had some great interviews with. Uh, I talked with um, um, 
uh, just it, the, his name just went out of my uh, my head here. Um, but we, we, you know, again, I was I was presented with, hey, this is, you know, here's a thought leader that might know. And I had some great conversations with them. And, um, you know, the, the bad news was that uh, I was on the right track. I mean, the good news is at least we we're bringing it to the forefront. But what's your experience with that been? Um, you know, what, what's the state uh, of that? Um, because it seemed pretty ugly from <laughs> from the responses I was getting. Well, we we spent at Kinetics, um, my partner, Shannon Russo, spent a couple of years really customizing an ATS that, that we use, like, you know, that, that operates a, very similarly to, like, a corporate ATS. Of course, we're an, we're an RPO firm that represents multiple clients. But we spent two years kind of customizing an ATS to get it to where we want. And what I would tell you is I, I really think – that everybody hates their ATS. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just, that's a fact of life in corporate America. Like I've never been, I mean, there there are some, but I I would tell you, if you ask a hundred recruiters and you ask, um, you know, a hundred recruiters and throw some recruiting leaders and HR leaders in there, everybody, no one's satisfied with their ATS. I would tell you, and I won't give names because it's not a sales pitch, for us or for the technology we use, we're pretty satisfied with our ATS. Um, and maybe you need to go apply for a job on the kinetic site and see what happens. Um, there's a couple of keys. I think, you know, first of all, you would keep things like very, very simple. And I'm not an expert like in resume parsing. Um, what I do know is that the most important thing is that inside HR functions and talent acquisition functions that recruiters actually use the system of record, um, meaning the ATS, it has to be kind of woven into what your processes are because if it's not left to their own devices in corporate America and even in recruiting agencies, recruiters will not use the system, which means that they're not taking full advantage of all the great candidates like you that ultimately apply. And I'll stop there and tell you that I would tweak it a little bit. I'm less, I'm less concerned about resume parsing and how the technology works. I'll leave that to other people. What I will say is that recruiters actually have to use the system. And it's like a, it's a big, ugly scene um, across corporate America, talent acquisition functions, and also agencies related to recru- do recruiters actually use the ATS in question. Fair point. Fair point, Chris. Yes, when I was in ADP over 10 years ago, we were just releasing HRB, which is their first uh, web-based Ben Admin software. Right. And a, f- a few years yeah. later, they, they uncovered that 86% of the buyers had not yet implemented it live. And I think it's, you know, yeah, I, I, mean, I always go back to HR. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard. And and what I would tell you is I get a chance with with some great clients to do some consulting work. We like we do a package like called a recruiting diagnostic, which is really just consulting about, hey, where are you at with your talent acquisition function related to the benchmarks that we know exist and hold to be true in the recruiting world? That includes technology, it includes process, et cetera, et cetera. What we always come back to is that if recruiters don't use the system, and I would tell you 
Like if you like if you wanted me to throw an adoption number out, meaning how many recruiters use the system in a way that's representative of how a certain organization recruits, I would say that I've never done one of those consulting packages where I would put the total percentage of adoption above fifty percent. There's always like side spreadsheets and you know, then then from a technology perspective, you start thinking about ATSs that don't have clean APIs and integrations with, mm-hmm. with tools like LinkedIn. You, know, you, you start throwing all these third-party systems that we source from in there, and it becomes ugly very quick related to just getting a clear picture of, for the position um, that Ira applied for. How many candidates do I have, and can I do a Salesforce-like funnel? as I work my process to understand clearly what happened to the 45 candidates who originally came in, like through their own devices, interested in the job, how do we take it from that point forward to really do a recruiting funnel? Because by the way, having access to how many candidates did we have and what did we do with those candidates? That's really, when you think about HR leaders or town acquisition leaders, like having access to that data is the only way that they can make meaningful investments that are strategic um, is by knowing what's actually going on. And, and, you know, the, the, you know, the sad truth is we don't have a great picture across the recruiting world. As you look at, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of organizations. So I know Ira is probably chomping at the bit here with a bunch of questions, but I want to hold you a little closer to the fire with that one. You 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 yeah, mentioned that do you don't think that ATS adoption goes above fifty percent uh, most of the time, right? Where would you say where would you say as a percentage of awareness to your latter point there, right? How many people are aware that they don't know what they're doing when it comes to HR execution? Well. Um, that's, that's your quote, not mine, right? Keith? So I want to point that out. I'll keep it. I'll keep all it. your fair, all your, all your fair listeners. But you know, what I would tell you is I think there's this general awareness. If you look in an HR leader or a town acquisition leader, that's got literally a hundred things going on as we all do in a given day, they, they have a wish list and they know that their technology stack is, is probably not deployed as it should be, they know that they've got people that are off the system doing things because they really haven't had a chance to spend the time and understand maybe how all the, all the database tools, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's like resume databases, you know, some of the AI tools that are coming in, you know, you got to have integrations to pull candidates in. And when you don't have that, you're going to have a bunch of side schedules. And candidates actually don't come into the system. You're lucky if they come in at the interview stage. And most of the time, they would not come into the system or record the ATS until somebody's ready to make a hire. So let me, let me walk you through what, what that means. And you can redirect me, Keith. I think, I think everybody knows that they have a problem. But the problem with adoption on an ATS is that I'm working in LinkedIn, Okay. I'm at your average company with average technology and average like time to really focus on this. I'm working on LinkedIn and I find a candidate, you know, maybe I use in now, maybe we have recruiter seat 
Pete, maybe I don't, but I do all of this communication off and outside of the ATS. And then those, those same, so we don't capture the, the candidate record when we actually like reach out. The, the adoption on that's still at an all time low, even with all this technology in front of us. And then you're lucky if that candidate would make it into the ATS when that recruiter does a phone screen or when they pass it on to a hiring manager for a live interview. It almost always comes in when there's a hire. But if you think about all of that activity that happened, um, because we can't work effectively in the systems, um, we don't build our own databases, which, by the way, if you build a good database, that's like the you know, five years later, you've got one of the most effective sorting, sourcing databases you could have for your company if you simply captured all of that activity. And, and keep back to your question, I believe everybody knows in the back of their mind and like on a monthly or quarterly basis, wow, this is kind of messed up. Like we really aren't capturing everything we need to here and it's really restricting my ability to ask for more spend as, a, as an HR recruiting leader. I think they know that. The, the hard part, there's two things. First of all, everybody's busy. And I'll throw it back to you with this one, Keith. And then the other thing is um, all these tools, they get really disparate really quickly. And it's hard to figure out. Like, you know, you really start digging in for a couple hours, your average HR recruiting leader. And basically, you want to take two days off and quit or <laughs> just have a good afternoon nap after looking at this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Chris, with, so going through that process, so I, I agree with you. I, I And from everything that I've read, um, there's probably the adoption for ATS is probably under 50%. And then if you, you, you look at that and then figure out how many using it that at maximum capability, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's 50% of the, you know, of, of the ATS that are implemented, people are only using 50% of the features that are in that. Um, so there's, there's a ton of room for innovation, automation, you know, um, you've been at all the SHRM conferences as I have and, and, and the tech conferences and, you know, everybody's talking about AI, you know, drive, you know, driving the technology and, and AI assisted, but how are, how are people, I mean, what are you seeing? How are people going to make this leap from, because it's almost that they're looking at the HR technology to solve the problem yet they don't have their processes in place. A, a lot of what they're doing is still tedious and manual and administrative and repetitive. Um, and yet, you know, they're, everybody's sort of like saying, well, we're going to wait for the next biggest uh, HR tech. And the, this ATS has um, AI associated with it, or this chatbot has AI associated with it. So that'll solve our problem. I, I mean, Am I right, or yeah. you know, am I am I seeing yeah. what, the, what what the response is? And and you know, as you writing, you know, a book as I have on disruption, what what do you see as the next step? Well, I think I think the innovation. You know, there's so many tools out there in the, in the recruiting space, um, and you know, like all of these like partners, vendors, whatever you want to call them in the HR tech space, they all add value, right? I mean, they're all good ideas. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I like to say that, you know, the, the great opportunity and the curse in America, and this is true of the world, like increasingly, is that anybody with like $7,000 in a hoodie can start a tech company, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, that's, that's an incredible opportunity. But it's also a curse because there's so many like potential partners. I mean, really, and, and it really comes down to, who markets the most effectively 
that really grabs the attention of the, of the people they're going at. So it's easy to grab for shiny bells and whistles. What I would tell you, Ira, is that the real innovation is to simplify. And I'll give you one example, and then I'll let you redirect me a little bit. The, the real innovation is to simplify. And instead of asking or instead of like allowing Ira to see how his resume gets parsed, like I would never, well, let me, let me like back off the, I would never, because that sounds like full of, you know, full of, you know what, but <laughs> I would, I would, I would encourage people not to, not to show Ira how the sausage gets made behind the scenes and right. to have his like resume parsed in front of him. What, like really the real innovation is to simplify all this and to say, you know what? And smaller companies have bigger opportunities than bigger companies. The bigger companies have more opportunity than they think. So where I would go is I would simplify and I would say, how do we get Ira to give us his interest in this job and to give us the least amount of information possible so we can get him into the system and have him of record? And then Ira, to your point, let's don't show like Ira how the sausage gets made. Let's do this. Let's get five to six fields of information from Ira when he wants to apply for this job and let's have him upload his resume and let's don't, and you know, that could be like a LinkedIn scrape as well, but let's, let's choose not to show Ira like whether it got it wrong or right. Let's just get him in the funnel mm -hmm. in the ATS and then let's let the system do whatever magic it's going to do from a keyword perspective. Now Ira will still be considered for that job, that specific job Ira will be considered for. And by the way, that has really nothing to do with the parse. Every good recruiter I know is going to want to see the resume that Ira provided, like beyond the parse. The, the parse is really for the database in the future and being able to search like for candidates. Most jobs today, most jobs today don't have 400 candidates where you need keyword searching to move through them like here's a and this is this is a, a like a, a forward-looking statement if you have a recruiter that can't move through 50 resumes with the technology we have in place by the way they're only spending five seconds on your resume mm -hmm. and they're kind of like they're looking at it they have this like general picture of what a successful candidate looks like if you first of all if the recruiter can't call up a single window and move through 45 resumes in five to six minutes, then you do have the wrong system and yep. you should fix that. Um, and if the, if the recruiter is like burdened and can't spend five to 10 seconds on each resume and to sort accordingly, if they're too burdened where they can't do that, um, you've either got the wrong recruiters or um, they've got way too much going on. And like your average number of recs per recruiter probably needs to be managed but i've never seen somebody that can't move through that so Ira, i would say you got to simplify it can i get away with five fields of information for ira and have him upload his resume if he wants to use something like linkedin let me allow him to do that but let's don't show ira that it put his last name in the job title field yep. because like nobody cares and like if i get your resume i'm, I'm still going to be able to look at it i'm going to be able to search it through keyword stuff in the future, you don't need to see that.
Well, you're definitely talking my language, Chris. When we come back, I'll uh, we'll kind of redirect it there, um, and uh, that's exactly what I'm I'm promoting. And but glad to hear it from you as well. You are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We're with our guest, Chris Dunn. Uh, he's the author author of Nine Faces of HR. Uh, we'll be we're talking all about the uh, current state of recruitment. Uh, where it's going, uh, what's good with it, what's where it needs improvement. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. So stay right where you are. We'll be back in two minutes. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's xor.ai. Hi everyone, this is Ira Wolf, author of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. I'm excited to announce that my online course, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter, is open for business. This course is the culmination of a two-year-long project and releases recruiting tips I've learned after hundreds of hours of research, speaking with thousands of conference attendees, and interviews with dozens of experts. It's all available to you in Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. To receive more information or get started, visit our website at www.successperformancesolutions.com and click on the tab, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. Welcome back to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Hey, we're talking with uh, Chris Dunn today. And again, want to thank uh, Zor and Success Performance Solutions for being our sponsors. Um, hey, uh, Chris, when we uh, went off the air, you were talking about uh, kind of simplifying and you know, my for 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 anybody who's read or heard me speak, a uh, big part of my my advice is, you know, you really you really need to ask four or five questions, you know, to begin with, uh, to see if somebody's qualified, not to hire them, but to see if they're basically qualified. And and frankly, you don't need. Uh, you brought up a good point. You know, who cares if the the first and last name is in the proper fields? Because you really the the first and last name, the only thing that they do in the beginning is introduce bias into the whole application process. Uh, what you need to know, what you need to know is, you know, are they qualified? Do they have a degree? Do they have five years experience? Are they licensed? Or are they available to work? Um, and, you know, people ask, um, I have a slide in one of my presentations that it's a picture of a, an application and there's 21 fields there and all but one of them is unnecessary. <laughs> Um, in, in helping right. qualify somebody. So we, we continue to collect all this information and, and don't do anything. It, it's, you know, it's critical. I mean, and I don't, can't say it's critical, but it's important that you know most of this information to, to bring somebody on board, but uh, not to do the initial screening. So I'm, I'm totally in your camp on that or you're in mine. I'm not sure <laughs> whichever. Um, so let's, let's talk before we get to your book, because I want to spend at least a few minutes, um, you being able to describe, you know, what it is and, and why you wrote it. Um, we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the ATS, uh, the application, um, uh, Keith, you, you talked about, you know, last seven decades or last five decades, um, that it's been a, in a, a pretty much employer centric side. 
some of the conversation that's going on as far as the future, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, Chris, um, is, you know, that it's going to become a very candidate-centric approach to getting jobs. So because there's so all these profiles are out there, uh, there might be one that exists now that allows me as a candidate to match to, to basically, as employers do, to be able to scan all the public profiles of individuals, but for me as a candidate to be able to scan all the all the the uh, inner workings of a company uh, and to be able to identify positions or opportunities that come up. So let's say that a company uh, that there's a management change or that a manager gets promoted or that there's uh, some turnover, a couple people left positions that that I would get notified of that and that I would be able to proactively submit my resume to that organization um, because it'd be a, because I'd be a good match. Have you seen anything um, coming about that this is going to, you know, I and I, I'm a strong believer that that the, the tide's going to flip very soon where it's going to become a very consumer oriented approach to finding jobs rather than employer driven? Well, I think that's a fascinating question. So, I mean, you're kind of suggesting Tinder for jobs. I didn't know we were going to go there, Ira, but uh, sounds like you, you never know where right. I'm going. I, I get it. <laughs> well, welcome to the future it. of work. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that's interesting. I, I think the, the biggest problem you have with that is scale. Because, you know, I'm back, I'm back to my message of, you know, anybody in America and anybody in the world can start a company with $10,000 of money. And I like to say a hoodie because it's all like tech enabled. Yeah. The biggest problem with that is for a company hey, that has a here. great tech. <laughs> thank you. So I, it's, a, it's a company that does what you describe that can get enough scale and get enough attention in the marketplace. That's the, that's the hard part. I think. I'm a big believer, and I don't know if it's for every candidate, but I think I'm a big believer that the best candidates probably um, need some form of representation and that there's probably a solution out there that could do that. I mean, I think you see like, you know, with the, you know, the, the legacy job boards and even LinkedIn, they're all sending us recommendations for jobs that they think we might be interested in. I just think it, it really comes down on the scale. The other thing I would say, Ira, just about that, and I'll throw it back to you, is um, if it hasn't happened yet, you know, in the economic run-up we've had since the end of the, the 08 09 recession, mm-hmm. like, you know, most of us think that at least some form of downturn no, is, is coming at some point. And if it hasn't happened for candidates yet, I think you could just restart like your counter of this should have happened by now if we get in even another mild recession because it's going to train hiring managers and hiring leaders that, um, you know, that the supply is there in a way that it's not today. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you. I mean, we've had um, we've actually had an economist on uh, uh, Alan Ballou, uh, and he, he was back, I think it was in May or June, was it? 
um, Keith. Yeah. Uh, and he was predicting back then, you know, that we would have a, a well, he said we won't have a recession. We'll have a slowdown, which, yep. it, you know, so, but even if uh, unemployment ticks up a little bit, there's going to be more people looking. But then again, um, you know, most people are the, of, of the, of the uh, thinking that a lot of the people that will be let go aren't going to necessarily be the people that have all the skills that we need. So, and then you get back into, as we talked about, I think it was last week, we talked about upscaling. You know, the need for that. Um, so let, let's I want to make sure we cover we have time here to cover your book before we get into some other other disruptions. Um, so, you know, everybody always asks me, so I'm obligated to ask you, what made you write a book? Uh, wh- how did you come up with nine faces of HR? So, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I'll, I'll level set everybody in about like 20 seconds. So what the book does is it basically says that the, the world is placing a premium on HR leaders and really HR people at all level that can innovate and drive change. So what I did is we, we filled, I think, 53 positions um, across like four years at Kinetics, HR manager and up for a variety of clients. And we used a behavioral um, assessment along with the cognitive component and worked with the PhD. And basically the, the outcome of kind of that work and a little bit of research was that we can look at four different behavioral categories and we can come up with a pretty good guide for how innovative and how good a change management an HR pro is going to be. And as a result of that, we divided the entire world, early career, mid-career, and senior level, the, the entire world of HR into nine distinct personas. Um, you know, so that's, you know, if you think about a nine box grid or the uninitiated to nine box grid, you think about the Brady Bunch intro, you've got nine faces there. And as you move left to right, um, people have increasing skill and in being innovative at work as an HR pro and also like driving change. And really the impetus to come back to you, kind of to wrap up my answer to your question, the impetus for the book is really just see that premium being placed on HR pros and even talent acquisition pros that are really innovative and that can drive change. And by the way, I had a lot of friends that kind of mid to early senior level who had leadership changes and they weren't really self-aware with how they were projecting to the new leaders that came in and the new leaders looked at them and said, I don't think that's an innovative guy or gal. I need something different out of my HR leader. And they got impacted by that. So I think not only is it, you know, I think all of the nine faces that I have in the book, all of them are valid. I just wanted the folks that maybe don't present as innovative or as, you know, as focused on change management as they need to be, just to be aware of some of the signals they sent. Because I think like self-awareness for all of us is obviously always a big opportunity. Yeah, yeah, huge. So, so just and I again, I know my the book's on the way, and I I, I looked through it at the conference, but I um, you know like Keith, uh, he's got his pile there, and and I just didn't get around to uh, reading it yet. Um, is is it a continuum? I mean, are these nine faces a continuum, or do we each have rep- you know represented one of these? But we get we have to realize that there are you know eight other points of view, and that we need to. Um, kind of become a chameleon at uh, becoming, you know, I mean, is the ideal to become the nine faces or is it a a continuum going from one to nine? 
Yeah, we would say that you you always kind of exist. So, like, if people are thinking about, you know, kind of do this from an audio perspective, if you move left to right across that grid, you go from low ability to innovate and drive change to high ability to innovate and drive change. We think, based on your career level and your ability to innovate and drive change through that assessment or, or graded by that assessment, we think we can place you as one of the nine faces. And then, Ira, I think the big opportunity is if you are low with your, like, willingness and ability to drive change and innovate, if you're kind of slow, like, to really view the world in that way, the big, the big opportunity is to be self-aware about the mm-hmm. signals you send Super. when you're that person. Now, consequently, you can be all the way to the right-hand side of the, the grid, and all you want to do is innovate. All you want to do is tear stuff up from a change management perspective, that person equally can have some challenges just mm-hmm. in terms of moving too fast for organizations, et cetera, et cetera. So we think we can place you in one of the nine boxes. And then what we want more than anything else is just self-awareness for how other people view you kind of in this fluid world we live in um, because changes never come quicker to corporate America. I mean, it's everywhere and like globally yeah. as well. Yeah, it reminds me, there's another tool, I mean, basically that you're in my world, you know, of assessments. I mean, that's where 90% of my, my business actually comes from, employee assessments. And, and one of them that uh, I've, I've come across and used occasionally is it's, uh, it's an innovation tool. It actually measure, measures innovative capacity, and it only has two scales on it. And one is creativity and one is risk-taking. So you have the really creative people. Um, and you know, kind of the, the, the people that, as you said, come in and they want to rip up everything. They're the creative people and they're willing to take the risk, but, but you also have creative right. people who never take risks. So they get all these great ideas, right. but they never move on them. And then you have people that are great risk takers and don't have an ounce of creativity. <laughs> so they just keep, keep recreating the wheel. Um, so it, it yeah. sounds like, you know, very similar. That's, that's what your model is. And, uh, it, it's a great model yeah. because it really yeah. does help people yeah. understand where they are and, and what the rest of the world looks like. Yeah, and what we say about the nine faces, and the book's doing well, and, and we use this, like, in real life, and I'm a big believer in the model, there's no such thing as a bad face um, in the nine faces of HR. A lot of people want to move to the right of that nine-box grid because they want to say, I'm innovative, like, you know, I really drive change. You know, that's well and good, but we're all wired a certain way. There's value in each one of the faces. Yeah, comfortable. But everybody, like, has to be aware like on a daily basis, how you're being perceived. Um, just because you're innovative, well, like Ira, using what you said, if you're high on both of those scales that you mentioned, the creativity side right. and the risk-taking side, that's great. But I guarantee you that person is going to be super valued. One of the things we say about that, um, we actually call one of the faces the assassin in the book. Guess what? They're high creativity and they take a lot of risk to use your language, Mm -hmm. but we can see uh, like an assassin in their early thirties, mid thirties, we can see an assassin um, on the resume. And then when we match up with the assessment, we'll say, well, here it is because they have a long track record of two years at a given company because they either like make so many enemies that they can't get anything done Mm -hmm. or they're asked to leave or the work isn't challenging enough and they opt out. So you see this, this like consecutive one and a half to two year stints at companies and they keep moving 
the jobs are really interesting and really good, but they can't stick in an organization for one of those reasons that I just mentioned. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I'm going to, um, we don't have a whole lot of time here, but I, I'm going to send you a code. There's a new tool that we're using. It's called Curiosity Code Index. We had Dr. Uh, Diane Hamilton on a few weeks ago about it. And uh, for, for especially, uh, I just thought of it through this conversation, especially with HR, who's a little fearful of, of change and, and innovation, yeah. um, you know, a little bit risk averse. Uh, what it looks at is what holds us back from being more curious. Um, and she has an acronym, it's called FATE. So it's, you know, it's the fear of change, it's assumptions about change. Uh, it's either the technology, you know, either pro or, or con, you know, using leveraging technology and then the environment. You know, what are those things that we heard from teachers? You know, don't ask, don't ask questions. Just shut up. Just follow the rules. Um, and, you know, that we're all we're all born with this innate, you know, curiosity. But then, um, you know, four factors screw it up over time. Um, but uh, it, it just brought to light that it might be a really good opportunity for, uh, you know, a, a lot of people in HR to kind of identify what's what's keeping them back. Uh, and uh, so yeah. I'll send you a link. I'll send, yeah. I'll send you a link over to that. So, hey, we're, we're about five minutes from the wrap up here before we get dumped off the air. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Um, what, what's the best way? Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier um, about the blogs, but bring those up again, too. Yeah, so the blogs are the HR Capitalists. Just do a Google search for that, and you'll be there, hrcapitalist.com. Also, fistfuloftalent.com. Um, you can check me out at the blog. Probably the best way to get a hold of me, just connect with me on LinkedIn. So go to that normal URL for LinkedIn, do a backslash, and then it's Chris Dunn. You can search for me on LinkedIn. Just connect with me. Anybody wants to connect for any reason, connect with me there. Say you heard me on this like global show, and uh, then I'll say, ah, okay, it's Ira and Keith. This is from their <laughs> network, so this is like the good stuff. It's actually a universal show. <laughs> yeah, we're hey, we're in the galaxy. You. Yeah, yeah we're getting That's feedback right. from, from Mars. Right. <laughs> of course, Chris. Always a pleasure talking to you. Always a pleasure. You've got you bring such confidence and deliverables into in, and insight into the HR world, and and hopefully we'll be able to to talk again with you sometime soon. Thank you. Okay. So, okay. so great. Thank you. So, hey, Thank Chris, you. I got Thank one you, last Ira. question. One last question, real quick. Yeah. Chris. Um, and do it like in sixty seconds. Um, if we bring you on next year at this time, what are we going to be talking about? Wow, that's great. I, you know, one of the things that's really interesting, we, we haven't talked about a lot. I, I, I have like this ongoing passion since I'm one of the owners of Kinetics. Um, I get to do some, some development projects that I'm really interested in. So over the last couple of years, really have bootstrapped a training series for managers of people that's kind of written in the style of Fistful of Talent. And really my goal was to create a training series for those core managers of people to have great conversations, but also to do that training series in a way that didn't bore people to death. So we've tried to really create some engaging content that lets people practice what's most important about those most, most important conversations they have with their folks, but do it in a way that's authentic for their personality. So I think next year we might be talking about that because we've got a lot of good traction with that oh, training series of kinetics. We definitely need to talk a little bit more about that. That's uh, That sounds right up my path as well. 
So great. very cool. Sounds hey, good. I appreciate Yeah, both of us uh, appreciate it. And I know the listeners appreciate it. We had a great conversation, so much more to talk about. And uh, we'll keep the conversation going. Love to have you back. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Keith. Have a great day. You too, Chris. And happy holidays. You, you as well. Thanks. So, Keith, that was our fifth, 45th show. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. For, uh, this year. Oh, for, this year. I was going to say. This year, yeah. Yet. Yeah, yeah, no, we've been doing I used a lot of things here. Yeah, yeah, now we got the forty fifth show this year. It's forty fifth episode, so uh, crazy. We we keep getting great guests. Um, you know, we we got a bunch of people lined up for the end of the year. Yeah. We only have uh, four more shows for for can the rest I, of. Can I just let me know if you've ever thought about this? But you look at like I've been on a bunch of podcasts, right? Uh, maybe yeah, a bunch might be a little much, but like more than a half a dozen, mm-hmm. and. And they're usually like 30 minutes long. And it seems to me like we could do this for two hours. Like, okay. What's up with that? Like, why, what, what, are you, what are you seeing out there? Because, I mean, I could have talked to Chris. We didn't even get to like 90% of the things we could have. Yeah. Right. Like, what, well, we, we went out and we looked for people that were the thought leaders. And I know that sounds naive and old, but, um, you know, we've got some great people on and they've got lots of good opinions. And and hopefully part of it's because of the questions we ask, you know, yeah. that we're pushing the envelope a little bit. But we are running out of time. So we, we got to head off uh, and, and wait till next week. Uh, Thanksgiving already. Amazing. Um, Want to thank again all our listeners. Thanks again to uh, Chris Dunn and Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. We're always interested in what's on your mind, so please let us know how we're doing. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor, we're still looking for a few. Uh, just let us know. You can contact Keith or myself on LinkedIn, uh, or you can go to the website, Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, where we have every one of our podcasts, uh, every one of our shows are, are still listed there. Or, of course, you can listen to, on Spotify and Apple uh, Podcasts and Google Play and iHeart and SoundCloud and Amazon and just anywhere you can probably find a podcast, we are there. So until next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY.com, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>